Hebrews chapter 7, we'll begin in the first verse. I would like to be, be really uh, aggressive and say we're going to finish this whole chapter tonight, but I seriously doubt it. Uh, I seriously doubt it. This has been a wonderful study. We're about halfway through, and uh, we're just going to keep progressing on and moving through this. So again, if you turn your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1, we're going to read the first few verses here, um, at least the first uh, seven. Let's read one through seven. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. So Abraham tithed to him. First being by interpretation, king of righteousness, and after that king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily that they that are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though this they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. So we're going to look here a little bit about, uh, about Melchizedek. We're not going to spend a lot of time. The only time we really read about him in the Bible other than this passage and then there's a prophecy in the Psalms is actually when we read about his life, the one account is in, uh, is in Genesis. And he kind of comes onto the scene in Genesis 14. And I've mentioned the story before you know it, that Abraham had gone to battle. He got his little private army together, probably a mighty army, and went after Lot and his family, Lot's family, and others that were captured by, by these kings. And he brought them back. And not only did he bring them back all safe and sound, but he had some spoils from this, some, some things he took from this. And he comes back, and, and when he comes back, Melchizedek meets him. And Melchizedek uh, receives tithes of him. So Abraham literally gives a tenth of the spoils and tithes, tithes them to Abraham. And Abraham blesses, I mean, Melchizedek blesses Abraham. And typically we see it, and the Bible says it here, that without all contradiction in verse 7, the less is blessed by the better. In this sense, it's saying Melchizedek is better. Not better in the sense of he's not necessarily more uh, godly or anything like that. He's better in his position. He was a king of Salem, and he was a priest of the Most High God. And you'll see that all through the, the Bible, that the kings were kings. For example, King David. Wonderful king and a godly king, but he wasn't a priest, was he? He was a godly man, and a man after God's own heart, but he lived under that Levitical system. And a priest was a priest and not a king, and a king was a king and, and not a priest. Okay, They weren't the same. Samuel was a priest and a good one. A godly man. David was a king and a good one and a godly man. But they didn't share each other's offices. They were called to those specific things. And you would never find a Levitical priest also being a king or vice versa. And when it talks about Melchizedek having neither 
in verse days without father, without mother, without descent. It's not saying that he didn't have a father and mother. It's saying that he didn't have uh, a genealogical record. Okay? And that's significant. You know about uh, the Jewish people. I don't think there's a people on the planet that has a better historical record of their genealogy than the Jewish people. It's really amazing. If I was to ask right now, you know, who is your great-grandfather, you, you might not even remember his name or have it written down, or great-great-grandfather or mother. But the, the Jewish people, it's part of their heritage. They've traced that. I know I've talked about it before. So the genealogy with the Hebrew people is very important. If you're going to be a priest, you had to be from the tribe of what? Levi. Okay? Had to be from the tribe of Levi. So if you want to be a priest, and they searched your record, and they said, no, you're, you're from the line of Issachar. Okay? You couldn't be a priest. It doesn't mean you couldn't love God or worship God. It means the calling of God in that system was for the, for the sons of Aaron of the tribe of Levi to be the priest. And so, uh, when it says that, that Melchizedek had no mother or father, we don't have a gen genealogical record of his birth. And I think that's, I don't think so. I know that God has done it that way on purpose. Okay? Because Jesus Christ, and this is what we're going to talk about tonight, Jesus Christ was not a priest of the Levitical order. And I'm jumping way ahead, but he came from what tribe did Jesus come from? Judah, right? The lion of the tribe of Judah. And that's not mentioned for the priesthood. But he's not a priest after the sons of Aaron. He's not a priest after the Levitical order. He's not a priest that would offer these animal sacrifices and go make uh, offerings for sin for his own sin and then the sins of the people. It was going to be a whole different priesthood and a whole different order. And, and it was he came from the tribe of Judah. So he's like Melchizedek. Melchizedek, and there's several others in the Bible, okay? But Melchizedek is one of those that is Bible scholars say is a type or a shadow of Christ. Don't let it throw you off. Don't let you get, get you all worried. There are such similarities. It shows a picture. Jesus came and nobody knew who he was, you know, where he was from. You know, it's like when Jesus healed a blind man in John chapter 9, and the Jewish people, the, the priest got him and said, Tell us about this man. How did he heal your eyes? Who is he? We, he's a sinner. And the, the guy's like, I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but I know I was blind and now I see. And they said, We don't know where this man came from. And it really had them troubled and jealous and upset. Okay? And the man says, what's it such a big deal that you don't know where he's from and yet he's healed my eyes? Can he do what he did if God wasn't with him? The point is that uh, Melchizedek was a picture. He pops on the scene there with Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, and then he pops back out of the scene. And what we know about him is significant. King of Salem and king of... Uh, it says, let's go back and look at it. In verse 2, by interpretation... Uh, king of Righteousness and King of Salem, which is King of Peace. King of Righteousness and King of Peace. Is that significant? That those two, mercy and, and truth, have met together in the peace. It meets in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God brings that righteousness and He brings peace because what, of what Jesus accomplished on the cross for you and for me. We can have peace with God. Isn't that what the Bible says? It's, there, it tells us, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So there are types and shadows. There's types and shadows of Melchizedek. We don't have, uh, you know, he just kind of comes on the scene. When Jesus comes on the scene, basically, the first 30 years of his life, nobody knew. I can't say nobody, but he wasn't publicly known. He was a carpenter's son. Is not this Mary's son and Joseph's son? Some of the carpenters aren't his brothers and sisters here with us. And he says he could do no miracles in his hometown. The people were offended because they didn't think of him as anything special. But uh, so Melchizedek is a type in that sense in the shadow. And if you are not, if if one is not listed in the genealogical records of the Hebrew peace people, that's the phrase that they would use. They would say, oh, he's without father or mother, without descent. And it doesn't mean he didn't have an earthly mother or father. It means we don't know about it. Okay? We don't know about it. So that's as far as the the comparison would go. But we do see that Abraham, who was this father of the faith, is he not? I mean, the father of the Jewish nation, really, and the father of the promise. Jesus Christ came through his lineage, but he wasn't technically a Jew. The Jewish nation wasn't even actually around. But there was a priest. Okay? There was a priest of the Most High God. He wasn't some idolatrous priest. He wasn't a priest of some... Baal or something like this or nature. He was a priest of the Most High God. The Bible recognizes him as that. So there's a priesthood even before the Levitical priesthood. And there was tithing before the Levitical priesthood because Abraham gave a tenth of all to him. And this priest blessed Abraham. And it's typical, says in the Bible, that the greater one blesses the lesser one. Like you bless your children or something like that or, or something like that. Again, it's not that he was a better person, but there's two main points that the author of Hebrews, by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, is trying to point out by this comparison to Jesus and Melchizedek. First of all, Jesus fulfilled the promise that was made about him. Jesus fulfilled every prophecy about him, right? About his first coming. He fulfilled every one. And you don't have to turn there, but if you're taking notes, it's probably in your Bible, a little side note. The promise is um, that thou shalt be a priest. The Lord hath sworn. This is Psalm 110, verse 4. 110, verse 4. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. This is something God is serious about. The Lord hath sworn and He won't change. Not repent of sin. He won't change His mind on it. Okay? Thou art, speaking of Jesus Christ, thou art a priest forever. <coughs> After the order, not of Levi, but of Melchizedek. Okay, so first of all, the point of this passage in Hebrews is to let us know that Jesus Christ fulfilled that oath, that promise, that swearing of God that would take place, and Jesus has done it. Second of all, it also makes it clear that Jesus Christ did not have to come from the Levitical line in order to be our great high priest. Okay, he's, he's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Levi was not born yet. Those 12 patriarch tribes of Israel were not born yet. Abraham was living in that day, and then Isaac, and then Jacob, and the 12 patriarchs came, of which one was Levi and Judah as well. But uh, So it's a picture, y'all. It's a picture. Jesus' priest, and we're going to say it over <coughs> priesthood, is continual. It's continual. That matters, y'all. It matters. 
It matters to the Holy Spirit. It matters to the Scriptures that God's given us. He wants it to matter to us that He didn't just come like another priest and then die and another one succeed Him and He live and die and do His thing and then Him live and die and do His thing. That He came and He has an eternal priesthood. And I want to keep... uh, I want to keep moving and read a little bit further. Let's pick up in verse 8. Let's read 8 through 12. And here, men that die receive tithes. And they're simply saying, a carnal men, regular natural men, the priest, the priest of Levi would receive tithes. People would tithe and pay their tithes to them. Okay? But there, he receives, speaking about that event with Melchizedek and Abraham, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witness that he liveth. And as I say, as I may so say, Levi also who received tithes paid tithes in Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. What further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek? He's kind of given a rhetorical question that people would sit and think. If perfection, moral perfection to the people could come under this Levitical system with the Levitical priest and the law of Moses and so forth, if it could come from that, then he says there should not have been the need for another priest to rise up after the order of Melchizedek and not to be called after the order of Aaron. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change of the law. So we're getting ready to get into the next three or two or three chapters for sure that are really going to break down this more. I'm not an expert on it. I'm studying. Y'all study too, you know. And, and I'm studying it. And I'm learning it. I've taught this before, but every time we go back and study it, we learn a little bit more. But uh, I want to look at this. This is something I want to stress tonight. Something I want to take a little time to talk about. I think it's important. He says, if therefore perfection... Perfection simply means a finished work, okay, in this sense, a completion or a fulfillment. If it could have come through the Levitical system, in other words, that that did the trick. The priest of Levi and the law of Moses and those sacrifices and all everything that went with it, if that system and that priesthood could have produced, I guess you would say perfection, a completed moral work in all of our lives and the lives of human beings, then it would still be functioning today. That would have been what was needed and what would still be in place today. But the Levitical system and the Levitical priests and priesthood did not and could not bring about the perfection that completed work that needed to be finished. And I've got some scriptures here. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles. Some I'm going to read, some we're going to turn to and read together. But I want you to turn to Romans chapter 3. Keep your spot in, uh, in Hebrews because we'll go back. But Romans chapter 3, verse 21. These are the kind of things that you could go back and study later. So if you're taking notes, just jot down the Scriptures. Hopefully the study in Hebrews will be the kind of thing that maybe years down the road, I don't know, you'll, you'll have your notes. You can flip back through it when you start scratching your head and wondering, what about this or what about that? And we can go back and study it. And so I would I would advise taking notes, at least getting the Scriptures down. But look at Romans 3.21. We'll read through verse 26. But now the righteousness of God without the law 
is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So even the law and the prophets, that Levitical law and those prophets, they testified of the righteousness of God. Not just the righteousness of the law. They testified, it says they witnessed the, of the witnesses of the righteousness of God without the law. It says, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. So he's not talking about a righteousness that comes by the law. He's talking about the righteousness of God. God is righteous, right? God is holy and just and righteous and blameless and morally pure and perfect. That's the righteousness that is required for a man to be right with God. The righteousness of God is what is needed for a man to be right with God. The righteousness of God is required and provided by God to those that believe. That's how Abraham, at least 400, probably 40 years before the law was ever given, was justified by faith. Abraham believed God. It was counted unto him for righteousness. Verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God had set forth to be a propitiation. That's like a, a, a payment. Okay, a payment. Propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance or the patience of God. To declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that's God's, that He might be just and the just of fire of Him which believeth in Jesus. The law could not do that. Okay? The law could not do that. If it could have done that, there would not have been a need for Jesus Christ to come. He not only came to be the Savior of the world, we're looking at it over and over in Hebrews, He's our great high priest. And there's a new priesthood. And there's a new law that's given. Okay? As well. And the laws are written not on stone, but on our hearts. The laws of God. Not the ceremonial law but the moral laws of God. I want you to just listen to this. I'm going to be reading from uh, Galatians 2.16. We all know the Scripture. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. It's a given. Paul, who was a, who was a priest, right? The tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He did everything right down the line the way he was supposed to. Supposed to. And he says here, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. It's not even an argument. It's very clear that by the works of the law, no man is justified. It does not mean that somebody that lived obediently to the law Okay, or strove, strove in their life to live obedient to the law and loved the law and appreciated the law and respected God in the law doesn't mean that that person couldn't be right with God. But they weren't right with God because of the works of the law. They were right with God because of their faith in God. You understand that? So we don't have the responsibility nor the desire to trash the law. I've talked about it before. Y'all were living a day and age in the, the church, in, in our world, where in many circles, uh, the law is really disrespected. I know I've talked about that before. I don't have to defend the law. It is what it is. It was fulfilled. Christ fulfilled it. He said it's finished. 
He, did, he destroyed the law, but He destroyed it by completing it. He didn't destroy it by taking a hammer and smashing the Ten Commandments and saying, these are stupid, they're obsolete, they're outdated. He, just, he fulfilled it by completing it. There's a difference. And He said that whoever breaks the least of these commandments and whoever teaches somebody to break the, the least of these is going to be called the least in the Kingdom of, of Heaven. Okay? And so... Um, we're, but we're living in a time where the, the, the law of Moses is basically disrespected, although as though that was just a pitiful thing, and and it was almost ridiculous and stupid, and 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 it's not, okay? It's not. It had a purpose. God gave it. And I'm going to give you these words, but it says in Romans seven, if you're ever wondering, the Bible says of the law, it's good. It's holy. It's spiritual. It's just. The law of Moses is good, righteous, good and spiritual. It's holy. Okay? These are all in Romans 7. And so something that's good and holy and spiritual is wonderful. And God gave it to us. Gave it to the the Jewish people. Why did He give it is the purpose. is the thing we have to understand. And when we misunderstand that, then people start looking back at the law kind of with disgust or almost ridicule. And I don't think we're supposed to do that. The misunderstanding comes where if people think that the law was going to be their righteousness, if the law was going to make them right with a holy, righteous God, and they trusted in the law and their ability to keep the law, Maybe better than their neighbor. Outdo somebody else. I can keep the law better than them. Okay? If they thought that that was going to be their Savior or their salvation, then their faith is misplaced. Never, never, never were people to, never did the Lord say, look to the law and be saved. And I quote it all the time from Isaiah. I forgot the exact verse, but the Lord says, look unto me and be saved. He's speaking in the time of the dispensation of the law of Moses. And he's saying, look unto me and be saved. What was the purpose of the law? Just in general. Y'all know it because we say it all the time. The purpose of the Levitical law was to be our schoolmaster, our tutor, our man's tutor, to point the way to Christ. When Christ came and the law was fulfilled, then you put away the tutor and the schoolmaster. You're thankful for it. It did, it did its job. If by faith you sought the Lord, there were things in within that Levitical system from the sacrifices to the feast to the, the, the mercy seat upon the Ark of the Covenant. Everything. The types and shadows and pictures and portraits were there of Jesus. Okay? And so it was a schoolmaster to bring men to Christ. It showed the holiness of God. It showed the sinfulness of man. And even under that system, God was merciful. Was he, was he not to offer animals instead of the life of a human being? Right? Because if I sinned and I lived under the law, but I'm really seeking after God, God says if you commit this sin, offer this sacrifice. It will make a covering for your sin. Didn't cleanse the heart. They still had to put their, if they want to go to heaven and be right with God, they still had to be right with God personally, one on one, by faith in the Lord. But under that system, God still provided animal sacrifices 
that he would receive. Okay, I gave it by sin, so I gave the offering you required. God says, I accept the offering you've required. It's a covering for your sin. You're not going to die. Go live for God. You know what I mean? And so, uh, but what Jesus did, he came and he fulfilled it all. And so it says here that if, in, back in Hebrews, if that priesthood of Aaron could have brought about perfection, there would not have been the need for another priesthood. And, but there was, another, there was a need for another priesthood, and there was a need for uh, this priest to come. Uh, well, I'm going to read this from Galatians 3, 23 through 25, real quickly. You can turn if you want. Galatians 3, 23 through 25. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. There was always a future something coming. Always under the law, there was always a future more. So, so you knew that wasn't the last and final thing. It wasn't the final law. It wasn't the final priest. It wasn't the final priesthood. There was something more coming. We, before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified. How? By faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. He's not Again, he's not belittling the law. He's saying in places like Colossians and other places, he's saying we'd be foolish to return back to that. The weak and beggarly elements of the law and so forth. If the fulfillment is come, everything the law pointed to has come. It's, it's happened. It's really happened. Jesus came. Born of a virgin, died on a cross, shed His blood, the Lamb of God, John the Baptist said, who takes away the sins of the world. It's all happened. He rose triumphantly the third day, defeated death and hell and the grave and sin and Satan and sickness. He did all that. Why would I creep back under some law tutor that was supposed to bring me to Christ? And there is a temptation for some people to do that. I don't think everybody necessarily falls into that, that trap. The Galatians did. They listened to the Judaizers who blended a mixture of faith and works for righteousness and for salvation. And Paul said, I'm you know, troubled for you. I'm, I'm, I'm praying until Christ be formed in you again because you're returning back to the system. Basically, they believed something that wasn't true. And uh, Christ is the fulfillment of all of these things. Let's keep reading in Hebrews 7. Let's pick up verse 13. For He of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, speaking about Jesus, of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which the tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. We've already talked about that. It was only Levitical priests, Levites, that, that could become the priest. And it is yet far more evident that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment. I really love the way this is written. But after the power of an endless life. For he testified, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's that Psalm 110, verse 4, requoted again in verse 17. But it says that those priests, okay, in the tribe of Levi, as I said, one would die, the next one whose turn it was to take his place, would, so there was death, and 
living and dying and living and dying. And from what I studied, I don't know uh, if it's an actual, I think it's like the best record that they have. There were 84 high priests in the history of Israel. 84 high priests. And you know what that means? That means that one lived and died and then number two came on the scene and lived and died all the way through 84. But that ended with Jesus. Okay? He is... Those would have... It says in verse 16, who's made not after the law of a carnal... That doesn't mean necessarily sinful. Just means carnal means like natural or earthly. Carnal commandment. But after the power of an endless life. And that's what we have in Jesus. And this is why the author of Hebrews, we know it's the Holy Spirit, but if you believe it's Paul like I do or whoever wrote it, is written to encourage these Jewish believers what you have is better in Jesus. Don't even think about going back. I know there's peer pressure. I know there's heartache. I know that there's uh, persecution and suffering. We've talked about in Lessons 1 and 2 when we started this thing. All that was real to them. But he's saying, don't you dare go back to that. All that was pointing to Jesus. Okay? And those priests lived and died and lived and died and lived and died. And they had to make sacrifices for their own sins and then the sins of the people. But Jesus came and He fulfilled all of that stuff back there. And He has His covenant or His priesthood is not based on some written out commandment, but the oath of God. He says He swore forever. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And it's the power of an endless life. In other words, what Jesus has done uh, is like the, the proof you know, that's our guarantee that, that we have heaven before us. He rose and conquered the grave and He's alive for more. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And we're not waiting for another priest to come along. He fulfilled the law. He put an end to it. We're a part of a different dispensation. You'll understand that. There was a dispensation, I guess you would say, from Adam to the flood. Okay? And there was that time period. There's a period from the flood um, you know, till Jesus, you could say. But there was a dispensation of the law where the law was given and we're not part of that. We're not part of that. We're not under that. We're part of the new covenant, which is in Jesus' blood. I want you to read this because uh, to, you can keep your spot there, but turn to Matthew chapter 5. Have you heard a discussion like... Uh, when you hear people say we're not under the law, but we're under grace, it's important to understand. You have to go a little deeper in that to, to really clarify before you can say, I agree to that. The Bible says we're not under the law, but we're under grace. But are we lawless? Let's put it that way. Are we just anarchists? Are we just lawless with no law? The Bible says that there's the, the uh, law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So that's a law. There is a uh, perfect law of liberty. There are the laws that we're going to read about later where Jesus says the day's coming. The Lord says, I will write my laws on their hearts and their minds. Um, what we're not part of, we're not under the Levitical system. We're not subject to that. 
It's not our authority. The Lord is our authority. We, we came into to a relationship with Him as our God and our Savior and our Lord through faith in Jesus Christ. We have inherited the promises of God not by righteousness of the law, but by faith in God. But it does not mean that we're lawless. And we're living in a day and age, again, within Christianity, with certain circles of Christianity, where if you talk at all about obedience to any commandments, laws, then you're considered a legalist. You're considered a Pharisee. You're considered going back unto the weak and beggarly elements of the law. But that's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Lord said, let's just pick up in Matthew 5. This is a Sermon on the Mount. Now just we could pick any part of this, but I want to read verses 17 through 22. Matthew 5, 17 through 22. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or, or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. It's important. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and teach and shall teach men so shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill as part of the Ten Commandments. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say, who's saying, Jesus is saying, I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. I'll just ask this question. Does the Lord Jesus still today, I know the law has been fulfilled, the law of Moses is fulfilled, it's finished, we're not under it. But does God still today feel the same about adultery as He felt when He gave the Ten Commandments? Absolutely. Does He still feel the same about murder, lying, idolatry, you know, bearing false witness? Yes. Those are sins. Okay? And so, the Lord hasn't changed on His outlook on those things and all of a sudden he's winking at them and they're okay now. It's important that we understand that. He felt that way about those sins before the law of Moses was given. Cain murdered Abel, right? And he says there's sin in your heart, Cain, that's causing you to do this. He felt the same about it before the law, during the law, and after the law. So though we're not under the law of Moses, those laws are written in our hearts now. I might be filling out my tax return and very tempted because nobody's going to, you know, uh, to come and look at meet little old Randy and see what I put on my taxes. And we're tempted to maybe put some false figure that's going to benefit us a few dollars on there, right? But why don't we do that? Not because there's a law written in stone and I look up on my ceiling and there it is pointing down at me, okay? We don't do that because. God has written it on our hearts. And the Holy Ghost is convicting about us about that. I'm not saved by you know, not cheating on my taxes. I'm not saved, I'm not saved by you know, not cheating on a test at school. I'm saved by faith in the Lord. But there are laws 
God still cares about how we behave and conduct ourselves and act. And now that we're saved, that He's written those on, not on tables of stone, but on our hearts. To me, it's even elevated higher, not lesser. It's not decreased. It's not weakened. You just have to realize what's the point of it. It is not for my salvation. It's not for my personal righteousness. I'm already, hallelujah, how many of you could say we're already righteous with God? We're already justified freely by His grace for now and forever. If I cheated on my taxes this year, I'm still freely justified by His grace. Well, what do I need to do about that sin? I need to ask God to forgive me. I need to repent. I need to confess it. But I'm still, that doesn't make or break my justification. Because by the works of the law, no flesh is justified. How are we justified? By faith. So I'm still justified by faith, but there's still laws. The laws of Christ. There's laws of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It doesn't bring me back unto the law of Moses, but that moral law that has always been in place, even before the Levitical law, is still written on our hearts. I believe that. I see that in the Scriptures. Jesus just said it. He said the law told you not to murder. I'm telling you, if you hate a brother without a cause, you're guilty of murder. Which one's harder? Which one's more intense? The law says don't commit adultery. I say if you're looking at that woman and lusting in your heart after her, you're guilty of adultery already. Which one's harder? Which one's more strict? So don't think that grace is just going to uh, absolve us and now we're just floating. There's no more uh, right and wrong. There's no more order. There's no more... There is. But it's not now nor ever was the law given for our salvation. Your obedience to the law. You kept the Ten Commandments. Come on into heaven. Never. There's none righteous. No, not one. Nobody ever could keep it. That's why the animal sacrifices were given. God knew men couldn't keep it. And guess what? God still saved men under the, the law of Moses. David's a man after God's own heart. We're going to see him in heaven. He lived under that system and loved it. Loved the Lord and what it, the laws taught him. Okay? He, Samuel lived under that system. We're going to see him in heaven. So I know y'all might be tired of, you know, going on and on about it so much, but it's very important to, to see and to realize that we say we're not under the law. We would say, amen, the Bible says we're not under the law. But there are laws of Christ that we obey not for salvation, but because we are saved. And we want to please God. And we want to honor God. And we don't want it to hinder our relationship with God. And we want, don't want to bring shame to the Lord. If we love me, keep my commandments. That means there's commandments, right? In this system, with faith in Jesus, there are commandments. I just want to read this. I'm, uh, you don't have to turn there, but this is Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath He quickened together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, that's where it was dealt with. That's where it was dealt with on the cross when Jesus said, it's finished, it's finished. Not only the payment for the sins of the world, but the fulfillment of the law and the prophets and the righteousness that had to be fulfilled. It was finished in Him, in that one person, in the Son of God, the Son of Man. So, uh, again, these Hebrew believers are being exhorted, don't you look back and don't look back for one second and think about going back to that stuff. Alright?
A couple more scriptures, and, and this is a good one to read. Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. You probably could quote it or come close to it. To me, this is a great explanation of the law, what it could do, what it couldn't do, the purpose of it. Romans 8, 3 and 4, for what the law could not. Could not. That means it couldn't do it. What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Isn't that a wonderful passage? That to me explains a lot. The law could not do it. There was a weakness to the law. Not a sinfulness to the law. A weakness to the law. A frailty is what it means. It had a frailty. It had a place of weakness. A place where it, it, it couldn't do more. And that place was it couldn't do... The, the weakness of the law was the frailty of the flesh of man. If God was just talking to His Son Jesus and said, keep these Ten Commandments, His Son Jesus would have no problem keeping those, right? The Prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in Me. He's morally pure in and out. He's pure light. In Him is no darkness at all. It would be nothing for Him. But for that law, same law, to be given to sinful men, descendants of Adam with a sin nature, in whatever dispensation, and say, keep this law perfectly, you know there's going to be a breakdown. Okay? Some might sin quicker than others, but there's going to be a breakdown. The weakness is the law could not justify men. Men need a Savior. We need a Savior. The best of men needs a Savior. The worst of men needs a Savior. People before, during, and after the law of Moses needed a Savior. And that it didn't come through the law, but because because of what Christ did, it says uh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So there is a righteousness of the law that we now possess because of what Christ did, and then I trusted in Christ. I trusted the One who did keep the law perfectly and finished it and completed it and fulfilled it so there's no need for it anymore. So the law is done away with. Again, not because it was stupid, but it had a weakness. It wasn't the Savior. Jesus was the Savior. So now if I trust in the Savior who completed the law, fulfilled it, and perfectly kept it, and I trust in Him, that same righteousness of the Lord is imputed to me. He kept it. And I get the benefits of being called righteous when I know good and well I haven't kept it perfectly. Probably not for one day. But I put my faith in one who did. And he counseled to me as being righteousness. Amen? It's an awesome thing. So uh, I just think it's important we see this clearly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop here. I knew I wasn't going to finish this chapter. But uh, I'm going to just read back in Hebrews 7. I'm going to read the, the scriptures and just close with this. It says that uh, in verse 17, I mean, verse 15. And it was yet far more evident that for after the similitude of Melchizedek there ariseth another priest who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. Alright? And Christ is our Lord and Savior.
forever. Men before the cross looked forward to Jesus, right? They did. He was prophesied. That's why the prophets came and said, even Moses said, there's going to be that prophet. This is what's called in the Bible, that prophet who's going to come one day. And that's when when the the Pharisees came to John the Baptist of the Jordan River and they said, are you that prophet? That's what they were talking about. Are you the Messiah? That one that was promised way back there that Moses talked about? He said, I'm not. I'm not that prophet. Okay? And then he sees Jesus and he testifies that he's the one. He's the one. And the Lord fulfilled it all. All the law and the prophets. Like like, uh, Dave Hunt used to say, all these prophecies and all the law and all the types and shadows of the tabernacle worship, the temple worship, the feast, the sacrifices, the scapegoat, all these different things, the mercy seat, the holy place, all of that was, was like Jesus' address so that people would find Him. It all was fulfilled in that one man and in nobody else. So everybody, whatever country, whatever planet, whatever age, I mean, whatever, not planet, whatever uh, country, whatever place they lived, whatever age, Jewish, Gentile, it all pointed to Jesus, all right? And, and uh, it's all fulfilled in the Lord. Let's just take a few minutes to worship the Lord tonight. We'll pick back up and finish chapter 7 next week if the Lord hasn't raptured us by then, which I pray He has. Uh, Let's just take a few few moments to thank the Lord. What has been accomplished for us in the person of Jesus Christ? We'll talk about it more next week. A lot of the same things. It's okay. God wants us to appreciate and worship Him and just to be in awe of Him. Like Mary just sitting at the feet of Jesus and just worshiping the Lord. What You did for me. What's that song we used to sing? What He's done for me is so amazing. The love. All I know is I once was lost, but now I'm found. I'm thankful for the law. I'm thankful that I'm not under it, but I'm thankful for it and how it was used and the Jewish people were alike to the Gentiles and so forth. Salvation is of the Jews, the Bible says. He came from that that lineage and that line of the Jewish people, but He fulfilled it. He fulfilled it in the righteousness that was required under the law that God required. He is imputed to us by our faith in Jesus Christ. You don't have to work for it. We trust in the Lord. You're not going to better yourself and make yourself more righteous. You're going to walk with God and draw closer to the Lord. You'll become more like Jesus and will be a greater witness and testimony for the Lord. You understand what I mean? Those things, yes, absolutely, by walking with the Lord. But your righteousness is settled. It's the righteousness of Christ which past tense He has imputed to you and to me by faith in Jesus Christ. So Lord, we just come before You. Even now, God, and we're thankful. Lord, for all that You've done, I will thank You for all that You're going to do, for all You promised and all that You are is all that has carried us through. We're thankful for the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We're thankful, Lord, that the righteousness of the law, which is good and holy and just and spiritual, that law, that righteousness, God, You have fulfilled and You have given it to us or imputed it to us, God. You see us under the blood of Jesus. You see us as sons and daughters of God by faith in Jesus Christ. You've given salvation freely to all those that believe in You. And Lord, we have a new priest, Jesus, and we have a new priesthood. 
not because of a carnal, carnal ordinance, but out of the power of an endless life. An endless life, Lord. And because You have endless life, Alpha and Omega, You're able to give eternal life to those that believe in You. All of us sitting in this room, we've trusted in Jesus. And Lord, we have the, the, the endless life that You've given us. You said, but as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. Even to them, that believe on His name. Can you just worship the Lord? Come to the front here. Walk around. Kneel at the sofa. Kneel at the pew where you are. Go pray over somebody. Begin to lift your hands. And for a few minutes here before you go home, can, can we worship the Lord here tonight and thank Him for this great righteousness and what He's done for us.